Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Philly Experience Podcast. My name is Max Gretzel, joined by Tyre Hood and Tanner Gilmartin, coming off uh, a week of one team left now playing sports in Philadelphia, and that is the Philadelphia Phillies, of course, and the Sixers done, the Eagles done, Flyers, who cares? But at this point, I will <laughs> wow. say that the Philadelphia Phillies uh, are one of those teams that we've seen the past few years keep trying to rail us back in. You know, they get hot a few games. Now I've won three out of four. Do we know it's hard? Two out of three against San Diego over the weekend. Of course, now they're going to play the Chicago Cubs, who have now lost 10 straight games. So we got to start with them. But, guys, I also want to get into the Sixers eventually seeing Ben Simmons, of course, overseas, not in the basketball gym. A lot of people – Right, are either on one side of the coin or the other side. I, I don't, I don't see too many people on one specific side of this argument. Meaning, should he be in the gym right now, just weeks after the season starts? Can't you let him enjoy his vacation? The other people say he just basically screwed us in the playoffs. He should be in the gym. So, of course, we got to mention that. See, I know you want to bring up Jalen Hurts in the Phil Sims list that came out a couple weeks ago. Of course, we got to touch on that as well. But when we talk about the Phillies right now, and of course, of course, yeah, NBA Finals definitely. Well, Suns Bucks Game One's coming up. And uh, Giannis, we'll see if he's healthy enough to play. I think uh, early prediction for me before we get into it, I think the Bucs, if, if they're all healthy, it's going to be hard to beat them. But let's start out with the Phillies here. I want just your overall reaction from what you've seen the last few weeks with this team. I know if we date back about 10 days ago, your opinion is going to be a hell of a lot worse with this team than what it is probably in the last few nights because of that 13-run outburst they just put up. Um. Yeah, uh, so my reevaluation from the last time we did a show about the Phillies is um, same thing, different day. That's that's really it. They're they're an up and down team. They're really a a borderline five hundred team. And they're playing like it too. Unfortunately, I mean, we can go into it like we've been going into it about this entire season about the defense, lack of defense thereof, and the bullpen. Something that we we went into the season, you know, complaining about. And one of the things that I was worried about as well. So we, I mean, it, it's the same thing with the Phillies. It, it really truly is. Unfortunately, um, just to bring up an interesting stat for you guys in terms of their record and how this, this is a trend that really needs to change. So I looked it up um, just to confirm, cause I was, I was producing for a host at WIP and he had brought this stat up and it was interesting that he, that he said this and I didn't know this until he said it, but since September of 2011, do you guys know that the Philadelphia Phillies had, have never had a record over 500 since then? Since September of 2011. That's 10 years. That's going on 10 years. That's ridiculous. That needs to change. Now, understandably so, towards the end of 2011 was the rebuilding year and, you know, them grooming the the prospects and things of that nature. We expected to struggle after, you know, the era of Ryan Howard, Chase Utley, Jimmy Rollins. We expected to struggle. But now that we're in this time where we have Bryce Harper, JT Real Muto, we have, uh, you know, Reese Hoskins. You know, we have all these superstars who are supposedly supposed to take us over the top. But the reality is it just hasn't happened. And that brings up that brings me to another point, which I think is very unpopular, and I'm probably going to get criticized for it. But... I think Joe Girardi takes too much heat for this team and their lack of plays. Hear me out. I understand that Girardi has made some mistakes in terms of calling plays, in terms of managing the bullpen, but two things pop up. I've always said this, all right? Players play, coaches coach, all right? I will hold coaches accountable when necessary, but in terms of the Phillies and the way they play defense and the way they feel at times, that's not something you can hold the, the manager accountable for 
that's players. You cannot you cannot attack the manager for that. That's something that as a player you have to work on. And in terms of the bullpen, look, we all know this bullpen stinks. We complain about it. We've been complaining about it for the past three years now. The bullpen stinks. I don't care what manager you bring in. I don't care if you bring in the best manager that's ever coached, that's ever managed baseball. All right? There's nothing you can do to get around this sorry-ass bullpen. I'm sorry. I don't, I, look, I just think Joe Girardi is getting way too much heat. I really do. Every show I produce, every caller I talk to, every casual person I talk to about the Phillies, it's always Joe Girardi this. And Joe Girardi needs to be fired. I'm hearing that a whole lot more. Joe Girardi needs to be on the hot seat. When do we start looking at these players? We expected more out of these players. We're paying these players way too much money for the type of play that we're getting. All right? I'm sorry. Like, we we need to stop looking at Joe Girardi and start looking at the players. Players play, coaches coach. That's my position. I'm going to go ahead and give the Phillies more credit than T just did. And I might end up kicking myself for this, but oh right now, Max, you mentioned uh, they won three of their last four um, and two against that great Padres team. And that's because this team, the pieces of the squad are, are starting to come back together. You got DD came back on Friday. Hoskins, um, he's picking up his pace. Woo! He's got, I, I think it was four extra base hits um, in this last stretch of games. You got JT, Bryce, and Gene. They're back together. And this is going to be an important stretch of games because you got three at Wrigley and then three at Fenway. And if this Phillies team keeps winning and they're on a hot streak going into that all-star break and then they win a couple after, I'm looking for that front office to make some moves. But – if this Phillies team does not and they're just stinking it up before the all-star break and they come back with no no flame or anything like that, these veterans are gone. But I think the Phillies are in a good spot right now. I mean, they're they're fourth in the NL East, but they're only four and a half games back from the Mets. It's still in reach. And I think if they continue playing the way that they have recently played, this is going to be a much better Phillies team than we have been used to the past what, 10 years? And, uh, I mean, it kills me to to be so positive about the Phillies um, after the games that Philly we have witnessed either. this season, going into the podcast week after week, just talking uh, the same thing about the Phillies. Hector Nair is this. Who we send into the Poconos, who we send into Montana. And, but I don't know. I'm more positive this week about the Phillies. And I I think that if they get things done in these, at these two stadiums and uh, they're going into the All Star break on a good note, I think this Phillies team can be put together even more by some pitching and they can make a run for the playoffs. Yeah, I will on, on that on that Brandon Kinsler note. It's great because he escaped from a cell. I mean, I, somebody he must have gotten a key out of, you know out of Montana, Wyoming, wherever he was. And because some for some reason I saw him on the man last night. So I guess good, you know, good for him. He escaped the cell. Must have the uh, security guard must have fallen asleep or something. Anyway, um, it's funny how deep this team has. You know, they, they, they've really dragged me way underground, and they they got a stranglehold of my ankles watching this team because I'm sitting here. Looking at the division, like Tanner said, of course, four and a half back in the in the race to catch the New York Mets. And I'm sitting here last night. I'm watching the Marlins Dodgers hoping the Marlins lose. I'm watching the Brewers Mets hoping the Mets lose. I'm sitting here like, wow, 
I'm sitting here Monday night and this is what I'm doing. I'm rooting for the division teams to lose like that. And, and again, why am I doing that? Because it's crazy to think about the Phillies continuously uh, hurt our feelings and cause us pain. But I will say this about last night and going into the Cubs series overall, because you look at the Cubs, you know, coming into the series, lost nine straight games ever since I had that combined no hitter against the Dodgers. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, nine straight games. What is the recipe to get back on track for the Cubbies? Oh, the Phillies coming to town for four games. Like lucky them. Like this, this is the Phillies fans nightmare is facing a team lost nine straight games in the Cubs who I still think on paper, at least are pretty talented with Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, et cetera. But we come out last night and fire 13 runs on the board. And it's amazing when this offense scores that many runs. Look at look what that does to the bullpen. They were free-flowing, free and easy. Kinsler, Connor Brogdon, Alvarado. I know the bullpen's been a real disaster so far this season. But when you score runs, I guess mentally for any bullpen in the Major League Baseball, it really helps out your emotions. I will say this as well um, in terms of the bullpen. Um, 22 blown saves this year. 22 Blown saves this year by this Phillies team. Um, and uh, I, we can fuss about Can we put Hector Neres on that on, on, on that bus to Montana too? Get, get, I, I'm, <laughs> well, please, listen, I, I agree with you there because small sample size here, of course, just based on what we've recently seen in that San Diego Padres game. I think Joe Girardi, like you said, you know, he's trying something different, takes him out of the closer's role. What happens? He, he puts him in the sixth or seventh inning, hoping to maybe increase his confidence level. And he gives up a basis clearing double to Hosmer on Sunday afternoon. And he gives up that home run to that backup catcher that the Padres were throwing out there. But I will say this about the the pitching overall, because you have obviously Zach Wheeler going to Colorado for the All-Star game, well-deserved, probably the second best pitcher in baseball this year. I, I see Alvarado as my one question last night coming against the Cubbies in the eighth inning. And I remember Girardi saying last week that Alvarado's a new closer. So now I'm way confused because he's talking to the media saying Alvarado's a closer. I thought, wow, is he going to, let Alvarado come into the game and close two innings here. And again, we were, I know it was a close game because we really erupted in that eighth inning, but I'm just confused. I'm, I'm assuming because Ranger Suarez got that save on Saturday afternoon. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to guess he's the new closer because Joe Girardi, it seems like Hector Nair is not the answer. Alvarado a little too inconsistent is Ranger Suarez. Although he doesn't have maybe that 99 mile or fastball you want to see from a back end guy. He has that, you know, demeanor about him, that confidence level. Really nothing shakes him, and maybe he could be the answer in the closer's role because at least he had a solid performance on Saturday against a pretty good Padres lineup, and he did have to face a pretty tough part of that order, if I remember, in that ninth inning. But overall, what we've seen recently with this team, and, and I'll, I'll flip it, flip the script to the hitting right now. One quick note before I get there. Naftali Feliz, I'm sorry. Get the hell out of here. No one wants to see you back in Philadelphia. <laughs> wow. Brutal. Brutal. Wow. Now, now the hitting side. I, I will say this. Reese Hoskins is weird because I just want to mention this. I know he's he's still you know a fan favorite of Tanner, but he's <laughs> actually had 13 of his 19 home runs on the road this year, which is pretty surprising. And the Phillies erupted for five home runs, albeit two of them off of Eric Sogard in, in the eighth inning, which God, I mean, I have no idea why he was even out there. I guess because at that point it really the game was out of reach, of course. But that's the second time I think he's pitching like the last week for the Cubs. So, you know, when you've got a position player pitching, you know, twice in a week or week and a half span, you know, you're not going too hot, uh, you know, as, as a team with as far as wins go. But offensively, you got to think to yourself 10 days ago, T, like I started off this topic with, we were in the, in the dumpster. I mean, we were down and out the fills. 
And all of a sudden, you got to think, okay, three out of four, a couple wins against the Padres. What has clicked? Why are we all of a sudden winning a few games here? And I'm looking at the team. What has changed? You know, I'm looking at the pitching. Has any pitching really affected? No, the rotation looks fine. Okay, I'm looking at the bullpen. Mm, okay, relatively the same names. And then I looked at the lineup. And who's back in that lineup? D.D. Gregorius. So his power has really shown out early on. I hit a big double over the weekend against the Padres. And then he hits that home run last night just when the Phillies were down 2-1 and we were able to get back and tie it 2-2. And I think, you know, the fact that we were down and able to tie it 1-1 and then we were down 2-1 and able to tie it again, I feel like that kind of gave our starters, maybe even our bullpen a little confidence. Like what we've seen with this team is once we're down, we're down. There's no coming back. It feels like because our offense struggles to score runs. But the fact that we were able to fight and come back and scratch and claw and tie it and then erupt, I think that's that's that, that tells a lot about his impact on the lineup. And I was going to come on the pod today and talk about maybe it's time to move Odubel out of that leadoff spot. But you got you to gotta admit, he comes up and he crushes that three-run homer last night. I'm saying, okay, I got, I'm writing down the notes here. I got, okay, Odubel, you're going to get ripped tomorrow on the podcast. And then <laughs> right as I'm writing that thing down, he rips that one out to left center uh, for, for that big home run. So I don't know. I think with JT having the off day in that first game in Chicago, the lineup, and again, this is my last point here on Girardi. Uh, like T mentioned, the couple things that I've had, the two things, I guess I should say, really frustrations have boiled over with Girardi is the inconsistent lineup that he's throwing out there, albeit there is injuries, of course, um, to this lineup. But also, I want to say the the when he takes pitchers in and out of games, I think certain situations, like I mentioned, I believe this last week, you know, he takes pitchers out when I think they should stay in, specifically starting pitchers. And I know pitch counts get high. It's a very long season. But at the same time, if a pitcher is, you know, cruising, 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 you don't you don't have that bullpen that you can rely on to make make sure they get key outs and key situations. So I think with the lineup moving Reese Hoskins to the two hole, now now he's going to hit cleanup. No, now he's all the way down to the six spot. I mean, he's it's almost like a guessing game, and it's not something where I'm going to keep this lineup kind of set for a week or two. It's almost like every third night, oh, Gene's in the leadoff spot. No, Gene's hitting two. JT, you're hitting cleanup. No, JT, now you're hitting third. Bryce, you're hitting cleanup. No, now Bryce, you're hitting third. It's just, it's all sort of, I don't know if it's matchup-based, depending on if it's starting pitchers, a left-hander on the mound and things like that. But I don't know. I think I think DD right now, in all honesty, is probably should be your cleanup hitter because it feels like every time in a key situation, he comes up and gets a big knock for you in driving runs. I don't know if it's bad luck that Bryce is not coming up with runners in scoring position or runners in base in general. I mean, the solo home runs that he's hit is was, ridiculous. Man. So... It's, I think I want to add that's, that's kind of where I want to leave that with you guys. Like the lineup, when you look at it, I, and it's kind of weird because you have to, you have to, we've seen so many different lineups this year, but when you look at it, where's your head at as far as not only the leadoff spot, but also kind of that cleanup position? Because I thought it was Reese because he has the pop in his bat to drive and runs, but now DD looks like he's healthy. Maybe he could be your cleanup guy. I don't really know where to put because I don't want to put Bryce in the cleanup spot. I really like Bryce third, but then you get a little confused because it's like, do I put JT second? Do I put Gene second? Do I put Gene leadoff? I mean, that's, and, and, and again, I, I don't want to dive too deep into it because it's like at the end of the day, if you're if the guys are going to hit, they're going to hit. If they're not, they're not. But I think the lineup has you know a big part of the team success offensively. I think this. I think the you know the the rotation in the lineup. I think that has a lot to do with trying to figure out okay, where am I going to get the most production from these batters? Because remember, Andrew McCutcheon started off the season as the start as the number one guy. And right. that obviously didn't work out. Like he was, he was batting below 200 at one point in time. Like now all of a sudden I think he's batting like sixth or seventh now in the lineup and it he's, he's improved his batting. 
So that there's a plus there. You mentioned the injuries. Injuries is also an issue as well because then you have to now you got to reset the rotation because now you got to work in the backup guy and see where the backup guy you know hits best. And mm-hmm. it, it's that's that's really the main reason why for the shift. Like I I just wish people would kind of understand that a little bit more. Like these guys didn't come in to this season and just started, you know, hitting cra- hitting like crazy off bat. Like there were some struggles in the beginning of the season. So now that things are starting to become a little bit more solidified, now we're starting to get some consistency. And now, so in terms of Tanner saying positivity, I can kind of see it. And I'm glad that you mentioned um, your, your idol, Bryce Harper, in terms of his solo home runs. That's an issue. That's something that we really need to work on because – even though he does have all these solo home runs, that's the issue. And that's the main issue with this team that I've been fussing about for the past three, four years. It's the fact that we get runners in scoring position and we can't bring them home. That's an issue. Now, last night we were able to do that, but a lot of nights we can't do that. We leave runners in scoring position. Bryce Harper having all these solo home runs doesn't help the team. Helps him in the stats, but it doesn't help the entire team. That's an issue. Baseball is really a team sport, especially in terms of runs. So that's something that needs to be rectified. Now, does that mean Bryce Harper possibly needs to move to the power four spot? Could be a possibility. But like you said, that messes with the rotation again. So it once again, it all goes back to Joe Girardi. And look, you he need people need to stop attacking him. I I think he I think people need to give him a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. Yes, everything hasn't exactly worked out the way we hoped it would. But when you're trying to figure out what works best for this team, things aren't all necessarily going to be pretty. You know, like I just talked about, we between injuries and having to figure out where guys can hit the best, like it's been a constant struggle this season. So, Maybe, maybe, maybe with Didi coming back into the into the lineup, maybe the Phillies can start getting into a little bit of a rhythm. Hopefully, uh, that's you know because I, I would love to have I would love to have this team over five hundred. I would love to see some postseason baseball along with watching some uh, watching some football. Like I would love to have that. I honestly would, but you know, it, until we figure out exactly where we can get the most production out of this line out of this line out of this expensive lineup. You, you, you're going to continue seeing these things. I'm sorry. I don't blame, I don't blame Joe Girardi for trying to play around with the lineup. I don't. T, you realize you're talking to Philly fans when you say give them the benefit of the doubt. These yeah, fans are hungry yeah, for postseason baseball. So am I. And they, as Phillies, we get, the Phillies get Bryce Harper and fans think everything's fixed. Here we go. Playoff baseball time. But there's still more pieces to be moved around. And we, as fans, have noticed that hole in pitching for the past three seasons that needs to be fixed. And it doesn't seem like it has been fixed. And it certainly hasn't been fixed. But for me, I think you give Didi Gregorius maybe two more games um, until cementing him in that cleanup spot. But, I mean, you have... Andrew McCutcheon, who's just one home run down from Bryce Harper. And to me, I mean, this, this is, there's still a lot of baseball left to be played, but I know Reese Hoskins has been streaky. He, he's always a streaky type of player. He's not always on uh, the entire season and uh, there's not a lot of players who are, 
But I think this lineup is coming together, T. I think that's why I'm the most positive because these guys are finally healthy. You got Didi coming back after, what, two months? It's been two months without him. And right when he comes back, it's almost like when the Phillies first signed him uh, during that COVID season where he was just hitting a home run. He hit three home runs the first four games he played or something like that. And just the pop of his bat is well needed for this Phillies team, especially they obviously offensively a team that has been struggling and those pieces are starting to be together. And uh, going back to what this front office needs to do, if you get a pitcher or two um, in that rotation or in the bullpen and this team still plays like they are offensively, you've got a good team on your hands, but to say to this Phillies um, fan base to give the benefit of the doubt. They're tired of that. They, they don't want to do that. You got Joe Girardi who came in here. You thought he would be a very solid coach. And right now you got Gabe Kapler leading the San Francisco Giants um, in first in first place throughout the league, um, looking like a World Series caliber team over there. And I understand that mentality. Trust me, I do. And, and I sympathize with that. But at the same time, if you see that the same thing is happening and the same struggles are happening, then your attention doesn't need to go to the manager because now it's starting to show that it's not necessarily a manager. Now you got to start looking at the players. Are these players really good enough to take this team where we envision this team going? That's where the questions, that's where the questions really should be going. Not necessarily the manager. That's just my two, my two cents. That's kind of where we have to decide if we're going to be a buyer or seller. You know, I think our rotation for the most part, you know, it's when you look at it on paper, solid. You have Wheeler, a dominant number one, Nola, and solid two for the most part, even though he's inconsistent this year. Eflin, you know, he has his ups and his downs, but recently he's been, you know, a solid pitcher, I would say, at least a number three. And then Velasquez, basically what you've gotten this season is what you would ask for out of a number four starter. And then Matt Moore uh, last night, I mean, four innings, two runs. I'm From a fifth starter – I would like to see him at least get the five innings, uh, maybe, because his pitch count relatively wasn't that high. I think he was only at like 74 pitches when he was taken out of the game. But I, I think the main decision with the lineup is on, on the other side of the coin here is do you leave Herrera in the leadoff spot? And if not, do you put him lower and have Gene, maybe JT, Bryce, DD, like Tanner. And again, we're kind of having a discussion here. DD should be in the cleanup spot or not, but then McCutcheon five, Hoskins six. I mean, you really, with DD back the lineup, it's, it's amazing how much, how much more it gets to stretch a little bit. And uh, I want to give a quick shout out here to, uh, to Bailey Falter. I think he's come up and he's done, you know, his part in that bullpen. And especially, even though we lost that game uh, in Cincinnati, that rain out that we had to get rescheduled. He, he pitched very, very well. And, and again, he hasn't gotten too much of an opportunity this year because he came up mid season, but it's a guy out of the bullpen that I relatively would want to see more out of. And I think Daniel Dale Santos is the one guy in the one name in the bullpen. I think that you have to look at it and say to yourself, why is he still on the team? Uh, but I guess for the most part, that's a story for another day. And, and on that note, I, I got to turn the script here and I got to talk about Ben Simmons and see, I know you want to get to this, Woo! seeing him overseas, Boy. seeing him in London, uh, or seeing him at Wimbledon, the tennis match. I think one of the big things there is, do you want to see him in, on the basketball court more? Or do you want to see him, you know, give him his time to relax and then get back into it? Okay, so let, let's provide a little bit of background just in case nobody knows what the heck is going on. So we all know how this season ended with the Philadelphia 76ers with most of the blame being heaped upon one Ben Simmons. Now, the main thing, but 
you know, let's just go outside the fact that he could possibly be traded and things of that nature. But the main thing we wanted from Ben Simmons was the fact of that he needed to work on his game in, in particular, his jump shot, because his lack thereof is what cost really this, the 76ers from advancing to the Eastern conference finals and possibly even the NBA finals. So I understand the frustration and we all expected Ben Simmons to just stay in the gym. Basically now some photos have recently came out. Um, apparently he's in Wimbledon in London, um, catching a game with, uh, with a female he's kissing her and whatnot. And look, uh, Maya Jamma is her name. And, and look, it, here's my thing. I know people expected me to just start going off, start ranting, start just just going absolutely ballistic and stupid. That's not my stance. Listen, as a person, as as an individual, I I love vacations. Like I I need my time off. I need my time to rest. Like I, I talk sports almost every day between work, between here. If I, if I come across a family member, they want to talk sports with me. Listen, there's a time where I'm tired of talking sports. So I just need to debug. And I just, I, 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 I just step away from it. I turn my phone off and I just disconnect myself from it. So I completely understand from that point of view, Ben Simmons taking a vacation and just doing other things. I completely understand that. And I, I don't have a problem with him doing that. Here's where the issue in, in lies. You, Ben Simmons, you know Philadelphia is crazy as hell, right? You do realize that Philadelphia blames you for the reason why the 76ers didn't go to the Eastern Conference Finals. Not to mention the fact that the stats back up that statement. So with all that being said, my friend, I'm going to need you to please not show yourself. Do not show yourself anywhere outside of a gym. I don't have a problem with you going on a vacation. I don't. All right. Do you? Cause I completely understand the way everybody was just hammering you at the end of the season. I understand, bro. I understand. Do you, but don't get caught. That's my problem. That's my big beef. You got caught. You got caught outside of the gym doing something else, dating someone else, bruh, not a good look. That's Ben. You smarter than that. Come on, man. What did Fred Fox say that you big dummy? Yeah, man. That wasn't smarter. That wasn't smart on your behalf, man. That that really wasn't. And now you're, you're getting crucified. And in a way, I don't feel sorry for you. Listen, you don't need to be filmed anywhere or being caught anywhere outside of a gym. You are not helping your cause T. at all. T. Ben Simmons can't control who takes pictures of him and he can't control the paparazzi. Uh, the only place that he could possibly go on a trip with no photography might be Mars, maybe. <laughs> and uh, I mean, wherever this guy goes, whether he's just going to Walmart to pick something up or not, he's going to get photographed and it's going to look like he's having a day out to himself. And you better send but, somebody to go I'll- get your food. <laughs> I'll take the, I'll I'll go ahead and take the stance of an ignorant uh, Sixers fan, diehard Sixers fan, and I'll say, what are you doing out here after the performance you just put on in the playoffs? You lost to the Atlanta Hawks, and you're out here kissing, practicing the wrong type of game <laughs> instead of in the gym. He's taking the wrong type shooting of shooting a three. <laughs> 
<laughs> hitting the free throw line and and practicing and being better. Your Sixers career is on the line. And you're out here at Wimbledon. <laughs> that it makes no sense to me as a ignorant Sixers fan. But let's be honest, this guy can't stay inside all day. He's got the right his whole life is not basketball. Uh, we think it is because that's really the only time we see him is on the basketball court. And he deserves that time to himself and to do whatever he does. But for me, I think it's it's seeing him out um, looking like now, of course, we don't know what's going on inside his head, what he's thinking. But having the day uh, away from basketball, that might be helpful to him, helpful to him. But I personally don't want to see that. I want to see that he's working on his game. He knows how bad he did and he's doing better. But uh, this is the the publicity from this is not going to be good um, from Philadelphia fans, especially. And now there's going to be memes and everything like that. But uh, I'm thinking and I'm hoping that Ben Simmons knows how terribly he played and how much he let the Sixers fan base down. But he hasn't said anything. You have Tobias Harris out here um, putting an essay on his Instagram page about how he's sorry. And Bede, right after the game, he puts out something and then it's just crickets from Ben Simmons or he is who he is. And that's garbage. That's a garbage excuse. And as far as his playing in the playoffs, he was a garbage player in the playoffs. I know it's hard for a 6'10 dude to be low key. Shout out to Chris for watching this and, you know, reacting. I know it's hard for a 6'10 dude to be low key, but dude, you, you come on, man. Come on, man. You're, you're, you got crucified, all right, after that series. You're going to get hung, all right? You are, going, you are going to be murdered. Dude, oh, that, wasn't, that wasn't smart. That, that really See, wasn't smart. I think one of the big things that I want to point to as a Ben Simmons defender throughout all these years, and, you know, I get it. You know, the jump shot, that's what we started out with, transition to down the pipe to just mm, – what can you give me? Can you give me a mid-range? Can you give me a foul shot? It's literally gotten down to, can you give me a foul shot? And we'll be happy. With with being a Ben Simmons defender, obviously comes a lot of hate, especially at this moment in time. I think one of the big reasons why I want Ben Simmons going at this point is his reluctance to get better. I've seen nothing about his love for Philadelphia, and that's one of the big things for me. I told you guys multiple times, there's only a handful of people that are meant and built to play in the city, not just a role player, but I'm talking about a star player. Ben Simmons isn't meant to be in Philadelphia. He can't handle it. And, and again, most athletes can. It's no knock to him. He just mentally can't handle it. Not only can he not handle being a star in Philadelphia, he can't handle taking cr- criticism in Philadelphia. Now that's turned into more than criticism, probably hate. But he doesn't, first of all, he doesn't, you have to interact with the city. You have to interact. You have to be on social media. You have to be out making appearance. You have to be out in Philadelphia for people to love you. And he never does that. Just just great points brought up by you guys, Tobias, with his message, Tanner, and, and Embiid, again. Like, they understand Philadelphia. They get it. They get the hurt. Batista, I will also. But when you look at Ben Simmons, not only is he not shouting out Philly, is he not going on social media saying he'll do better, he'll do better, whatever. He is out doing things. And he knows. I mean, he knows that the rea- what the reaction is going to be. That's another thing that bothers me. He knows going out in public, people are going to look at him, and he knows he's going to get pictures taken of him, filmed, whatever it may be. And it doesn't bother him at all. He, he shows no will to get better at his game. 
And I don't think he ever will at this point, to be honest with you. He might get develop a little bit of a, a shot, maybe. I mean, listen, the kid's only 24 years old still. But I'm talking about is he going to become, you know, the next Jason Kidd or somebody like that that we always thought he could be? I don't think so. And it's just because he's mentally weak. He's a mentally weak guy. And, and, it, and it's not just me speculating. I mean, it's, it's proven. I mean, he has shown no – he's the same player he was day one coming in here that he is today. The same as that player. No game of his – like, he hasn't – he's always been a good defender. He's always been – I mean, his size doesn't change. He's obviously going to be 6'10", and he hasn't grown a jump shot. He hasn't grown scoring, just score the basketball. He hasn't really shown that. And we saw – the one game that always just boggles my mind is the Utah game when Embiid's out. I mean, he scores, what, 42, 44 points. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, is this this is Ben Simmons. He's shown – like, even though he's not going to do it on a consistent level, he's shown the capability to do it. And then from that point on, we haven't seen anything like it. And in crunch time, he just crumbles. And that's one of the reasons why the main reason, I guess you could say mentally, I want him out of the city of Philadelphia because we're not going to win a championship with him on the team. And and how much we've waited four or five years. I can't wait any longer to unlock him, so to speak. You got to get him out of town, send him to a place, just like kind of like we do with Mark Holtz. Got He's not built for Philadelphia, right? Coming in with all those expectations, number one overall pick. We sent him to a wasteland in Orlando where no one really watches any TV or basketball or whatever. And he's able to get a little bit better because no one cares about the magic. Quite frankly, they're awful. And he's able to just get a lot of minutes, work his way out of his funk, play, not have any expectations. I mean, he came into that team, what? Uh, maybe I'll be a bench, bench, you know, sixth, seventh man off the bench, play like 15 minutes a night. Then he eventually got better, turned into their starting point guard before he got hurt. But maybe if you send Ben Simmons to Sacramento for a De'Aaron Fox trade or a Buddy Heel trade, no one gives a shit about Sacramento either. I'm sorry to say it, but no one really is going to watch Ben Simmons out in Sacramento whatsoever. And maybe he'll be able to flourish there uh, in the middle of nowhere out there. Because quite frankly, if you go to California, you're going to San Diego or Los Angeles. You're not going to Sacramento. I promise you that. So that's why I want Ben Simmons going. And it really has grown over the last few weeks. I think I think now it's hitting with you guys. I think it hit more, you know, almost immediately. With me, it didn't hit immediately like the Sixers season's over. But then you see Giannis go down with his injury. It's like, wow, the Sixers really blew a huge chance. And I think now I'm just starting to realize that. And that's why I think my anger level is now starting to creep up a little bit higher with regard to Ben Simmons. It hit me immediately. Max. Go ahead. Max, um, you're you're right about that Orlando fact about how they don't watch basketball over there. Because I was in Orlando a couple days ago. I did not see one Orlando Magic piece of merchandise or anything. Yeah, um, it, exactly. it was barren. I mean, they care more about Mickey Mouse than their basketball team <laughs> over there. And going back to this Sixers team and the disappointment that it is, you see Giannis go down with that injury and saying, man, the Sixers did have a chance. Now, are you guys more upset that as, as Sixers fans that the Hawks put up a fight against the Bucks, but you know, the Bucks still advanced and saw that opportunity that maybe if the Sixers went there, they could have beaten the Bucks. Or are you you thinking maybe this this Hawks team was serious and we lost as Sixers fans and the Sixers lost to a good team in the Hawks? For me it's a combination of both. I said going into the Hawks series that I think that the 76ers over underestimated the Atlanta Hawks. And they didn't really take that they, that series seriously. And it's a shame because 
if you would advance to the to the conference finals like everybody envisioned, all right, you would have faced the Milwaukee Bucks, and in which that's a team that you beat this season. Like you beat you beat the ser- you beat the series against this team. So you you have the ability to beat this team. And you unfortunately you wasted an opportunity. You truly did. And then like Max said, when Giannis went down, I got even more pissed off. Because now that's the biggest threat on their team. Oh my god. You don't have to deal with Giannis driving to the paint all the time. Cause nobody on the nobody on the court can stop him. So that's one less problem. Oh, you really got the main person now that you can really key in on on offense is Chris Middleton. And you blew that opportunity. You blew that opportunity. And that irritates me. And like Max said, yeah. I, like, I think on I think on a Bucks note real quick here. I think the Bucks are a really good team. I think yeah, no one, doubt. Of big, one of the big things that they actually were able to do with the trade deadline was get PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker was able to at least fight, you know, fight off Kevin Durant for the most part. You know, Durant was doing his thing, but I think by game seven, Durant was almost gassed. Um, and PJ Tucker did a great job defensively uh, for what he could do, obviously. Definitely. The best player in the world. But then you come into that series against the Hawks, and on a Bucks note, again, they have a great team. They, they really do. Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. I think their coach, the thing I like about their coach that I don't like about Doc Rivers, you look at the box scores. You see players, you have their starting five, and then you have maybe one or two guys come off the bench, literally. They, they run like a seven-man rotation, which is what I thought the Sixers should be doing this whole time. But they didn't because Doc Rivers had no idea what the hell he was doing with his rotations. But, and that's one of the reasons why I put a little blame on Doc Rivers. But the now, issue on a the, Hawks note, the Hawks are a good team. And the Hawks have a hell of a lot better shooters than the Sixers do, Kevin Herter, Trey Young. Quite frankly, I think that game goes, that series goes seven games with the Bucks if Trey Young does not roll his ankle on the referee's foot because – when you look at game six down the stretch, all the shots Trey Young took, I think he was like 0 for 8 down the stretch in the fourth quarter. All the shots he took against the Bucs that he missed in that, in that game six against the Bucs, he would make in the Sixers series. He made all the, all the step-back threes, all the floaters at the rim, kiss off the backboard, all those shots he missed. And it, it could be a combination that he was just gassed out. He was tired. Uh, his ankle was bothering him. And I think that was pretty obvious. That floater that he always was able to hit the pick and roll with Capella. Uh, in the Sixers series, he wasn't able to have that same push off his foot. I think that's what really affected him. Now, am I going to sit here and say that the Hawks are a better team than the Sixers? No, I'm not going to say that they're a better team. But I will say they're constructed much better than the Sixers team is constructed. And I think just on a P.J. Tucker note, if P.J. Tucker was acquired by the Sixers, you have Harris at the three, Tucker at the four, and beat at the five, Curry at the two, and then point guard Ben Simmons at the one. It's a little bit better of a rotation. I just feel like it fits well. Same thing almost with the Milwaukee Bucks. You have Giannis, kind of your do-it-all type of point guard slash forward, whatever you want to call him. Holiday and Chris Middleton on your wings. You have Brooke Lopez in the middle, P.J. Tucker for defense. I'm almost like a 3 and D kind of guy. I mean, when you're drawing up a basketball team on paper, that's exactly what you want. You want a 3 and D guy. You want a big center deck. And honestly, Brooke Lopez being a step out and shoot three as well, super impressive. I know he doesn't do it at a high rate, but he's still able to give you that if needed. And then your three dominant pieces, your Drew Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis. I mean, the Bucs are literally, the Bucs are just a better version of the Sixers. Much healthier version, a better version, uh, less injury-prone version, less mentally weak version, a Ben Simmons uh, example right there. So they're all just, the, everything about the Bucs is kind of what the Sixers wanted to be and should have been, and they just weren't able to get over that hump this year. And I'll leave it at this. As much as I love Joel Embiid, and trust me, I love Joel Embiid. He gets this city. He's all about Philadelphia. You, If you want to win a championship, in my opinion, you can't have your number one option 
come down and dump it in the post and just go get a bucket. You can't have it if you want to win a chance, especially late in the fourth quarter. You need a guy, a guard, that can have the ball in his hands and make the decision, I'm going to go get my team a bucket right now like Damian Lillard, or I'm going to be able to facilitate and get an open shot, an open three, maybe dribble drive and a little dish to Embiid inside. Because when you are able, when you have to force the issue and get the ball to Joel Embiid in the post, either trap him and he's not able to really create because he gets it and then it's kind of like, I got one opportunity here. And another thing I don't like about it is his unwillingness to just go up and dunk on these kids. I mean, literally. Every guy he faces is younger and not as big. I mean, of course, obviously you have older players too, but I'm saying when you talk about the defensive people that have really guarded him one-on-one, Capello, Lopez, and guys like that in the Eastern Conference, he tries to be a guard almost, and he's just not. You need to get a guy that's able to get you a bucket. As much as I love Joel Embiid, if he's your number one option without with, – I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I'm, let me rephrase that. If he's your number one option without the option of a number two that can get you a bucket, if your number two is Ben Simmons, he's not going to be able to, you know, shoot. What you really need is when if you dump it into a bead, and not to get too detailed here, if you dump it into a bead, have a guy that if he gets double, kick it right back out to him. And the guy you need to replace him with is Simmons. Get Simmons out of there and a guy that can actually shoot. Malcolm Brogdon rumors come around, and that's kind of what I want to transition to here is the trade options. Malcolm Brogdon was an option. I've heard of the Sixers turn that down and things like that. So I, I'm, I'm saying for you guys, what is the limit of play as far as pieces and talent go that you say yes or no to? So just going back to what you said, um, you know, and beat about playing guard. I, I agree with you with that statement. I don't want to be, I was one of the people that said, I don't want to be playing guard. I want him being a center. I want him dominating in the paint. Unfortunately, he was forced to play guard because you had one less guard playing on the court due to Ben Simmons, but we all know that. Now, in terms of the trade, I agree with not just not agreeing to trade, you know, Ben Simmons for Matthew Brogdon. Um, that's not enough. That, but Brogdon, that, Brogdon doesn't move the meter for me. He, he really doesn't. Um, borderline. Good, he, can shoot. he can shoot, too. He can shoot, but I need more than a shooter. Like, I still need, like, that's one thing Ben Simmons did was that he was a distributor. All right. He did make, he did make the other players on the court better. I still need that from my point guard. So Brogdon doesn't do that for me. All right. Now, a, a trade that did pop up, and this is very recent, like maybe this may be still within 24 hours fresh. Apparently, the Sacramento Kings are interested in possibly training De'Aaron Fox and possibly and or possibly even Buddy Heald for Ben Simmons as well. Now, De'Aaron Fox, I would entertain. I would entertain because one, I know he's a distributor and I know he can make uh, teammates, his teammates better due to the fact that, you know, he's his drive to the paint as well as his willingness to shoot. All right. He will distribute the ball as well. And with him being able to create his own shot, that also forces the defense to pay attention to him, which also leads to opening up things for other teammates as well. So Darren Fox, and if you throw in Buddy Hill too, I'll take that as well. That's something I would kind of. That's something I would kind of entertain because listen, the thing of it is, people, you're not going to get a whole lot of value for Ben Simmons. You're not. The, he was exposed this past season, all right. And now with this, these recent pictures coming out, it doesn't look like he's exactly working on his game. So okay. look, I want to ask Tanner one question here about what my my statement about Joel Embiid. This is what I mean. Ben Simmons dribbles on the court, dumps it into Joel Embiid. Then what? You got four guys just standing around doing absolutely nothing, and Joel and B goes one on one. When you have a guy like a Trey Young, like a Damian Lillard, they can come down, they can shoot the three from forty feet, they can run the pick and roll. Once you get the pick and roll in the center involved, Capella, you come off that screen. How many options do you have? I agree. You drive, you score, you floater it, you lob it to the center, coming off pick and roll, you drive, you kick to a 
or Kevin Herter or Deadeye Bogdanovich three-point shooter. You got like four or five different options that are just deadly. I agree. When you have Joel Embiid, I'm going to dribble down Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, dribble, dribble, dribble. Uh, okay, Embiid, boom, there you go. But Embiid, now, what am I doing? But the, what reason am I doing why, but the reason why is because Embiid demands that attention. Ben Simmons doesn't. You know exactly what Ben Simmons is going right. to do if he dribbles. It's the reason why we can't really run a pick and roll with Ben Simmons. Because right. it's not going to be effective. It's not going to he's not going to, yeah, and he's not going to drive. He's not going to shoot it. And, and it's not that we, we saw that in a regular season, but we haven't seen it in the playoffs. And that's the big thing. With Trey Young, you can stop, you can pop, you can come off the screen, Capella a lot. How many times do we see the lob to Capella or John Collins? I mean, it happened a bunch of times. And then if that's not there, you collapse the defense with Trey Young penetrating. And then it's like, oh, wow, I got a sniper in that corner. I got a sniper in that corner. I got a sniper on that wing. All those guys, Herter and Bogdanovich, absolutely killed us from three-point range. And I guess at one point, if you're a three-point shooting team, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. But Tanner, when you look at that, I know how much love we have for Joel Embiid, but if he's your number one option and all you can do is really dump it into him and let him do his thing and just stand there and maybe, oh, maybe he gets trapped and maybe he passes it. But again, late in that game, real quick before I let you go, we had that option. We dumped it into Embiid, and what did he do? He tried throwing that cross-court pass that got tipped by Bondanovich, and he ran down and dunked it on the other end. That's just, when, when you're a one-trick pony type of team, that's what gets you into trouble. And I get it, Tobias Harris tried to do his part but at the end of the day, it just wasn't enough. For Embiid, I think he's trying to spread the ball out more. Obviously, he sees what we see watching the games because he goes over tape. But for the center of the team to be, at most parts, the only option of scoring, that's a problem. And for this Ben Simmons trade possibility, it's more so who the Sixers now are going to give up with Ben Simmons because Simmons' value has went down because of the way he played in the playoffs. Now, you have the possibility of teaming up Ben Simmons with either Maxi or Thibel for a trade for a decent player. And the Sixers need a player who complements Embiid. Now, you have Tobias Harris, who said he was going to step up in the playoffs after that last season that he played. He, he stepped up uh, stat-wise. But it was more of a presence that I didn't get to see from Tobias Harris. At most points during the playoffs, I was wondering where he was. Even though he was there in the stat sheet, I wasn't seeing him really outperform um, on the screen while watching the game. But I think the most recent trade that I've seen was a Gordon Hayward for Ben Simmons, and the Sixers also get that number 11th pick. Now, what do you guys think about that trade? You get Gordon Hayward and the 11th overall pick. Is that enough or no? Gordon Hayward just is—he's too injury prone. I mean, even look at him last year; he just got hurt too much down the stretch. He's old. He did play a surprisingly good season with Charlotte, though. He did. He had a good season with Charlotte overall, and again, he was—you know—in that core with a group of younger guys. You know, Terry Rozier, obviously Lamelo Ball, but I think I just need more from Ben Simmons. And if, and the fact that I'm hearing all these rumors, like T said, with. You know, obviously, it's going to cost you a, a lot to get Damian Lillard, but I much all the names that we've talked about, probably Malcolm Brogdon, um, of course, Buddy Heald, CJ McCollum, all those, the Aaron Fox, all those guys. I all the names I'm hearing, I'd rather have over Gordon Hayward, and then to only get the 11th pick back. I mean, on one note, it, I, I see your point because you get to keep Maxi Thibel and guys like that. You really don't have to give up extra stuff, maybe even draft capital to get rid of Simmons and get a decent player back. But at the end of the day, I think I. Honestly, to, in order to get a Fox or somebody like that, I would rather give up Simmons plus some um, 
to go in order to get that kind of talent back in return because yeah. I do kind of want a star player back. I don't want to kind of get a decent guy. My issue is who the no, hell I agree is, with you. My issue is who the hell are you going to draft with that 11 overall pick? And with that 11 overall pick, I need that guy to contribute immediately because I have championship, not just playoff, but championship aspirations. So a draft pick for me doesn't do it. I need a guy who's going to come in who I know what his game is and I need him to contribute immediately. I can't necessarily guarantee that with a draft pick and a prospect. I just can't. Yeah, I'm going to be stubborn with this trade um, if Ben Simmons is traded because I'm with Max here. I, I want that star. I want that star player. Now, I know how probably unlikely a Damian Lillard to Philadelphia would be, but I'm willing to give up a good amount of bench players for Damian Lillard to come to Philadelphia. Now, I'll keep, as a fan, of course, this is all fantasy, but I'd want to keep Tobias. You'd have Embiid there, Damian Lillard. I would I would give up Thibel. I would give up Thibel and, and draft picks. I, I'm not afraid of saying that. I would rather keep Maxi over Thibel. Mm. Uh, it, yeah, you need to trade one of those players, either Maxi or Thibel, because the that's further, the further again the further move. the further you get into this uh, season or off season, I should say, is when you know you start to really think about things. And again, you have Maxi, who showed a lot of promise to Thibel. Still a good player, but if you had to pick one again, you know that's probably the guy at this point. Just because if you get rid of Maxi and you bring in another guard, who's your backup point guard? I don't trust Shake Milton enough. That's kind of my issue. Exactly. Two things here, real quick. I want to get the predictions here for the Suns Bucks finals right. before we touch off here. I know we got about ten minutes left, T, and get into that Jalen Hurts conversation real fast. So mm-hmm. let's go. Let's go rapid fire here. Bucks Suns. Who you got and how many games? I got the Suns in six. I do. I, I think there's. I think they're just a team of destiny. I said. From the very beginning of the NBA season, look out for the Phoenix Suns. They finally got a point guard that can distribute the ball and make players better. Devin Booker is having a hell of a season along with DeAndre Ayton, finally being the big man that they want. Suns in six. Hey, you stole my lightning because that's exactly <laughs> what I wrote down. But you know what? I'll, I got to be different, so I'll put Suns in seven. <laughs> yeah, cool. I'll go with the Bucks. I think if Giannis is healthy, I think the Bucks are the better team. If Giannis isn't healthy, I think the Suns win. So I really, if I, I want to leave it at that, uh, but if you had to make me choose, I'll take the Bucks in seven uh, because I think Giannis, even though he may miss game one, he'll come back in the series. And even though he might not be at a hundred percent, I think just his presence will definitely help the Bucks overall and be able to, I, I think they're the best team left. And I get it. I, I know the Suns have been great, especially offensively. They're putting up a lot of points, but with Giannis healthy, I think that makes the Bucks, you know, just a little bit better. I'll give them, that's why I have them seven. And again, it's a toss up, but uh, we'll see. It should be entertaining. I don't really have a lot of vested interest in it because the Sixers are just still killing my soul. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it should still be uh, entertaining. And I want to end it on this today. I want to end it on this. The, the Jalen Hurts, I, I get it. You know, Phil Sims, uh, Chris Sims, whatever. I mean, who cares, really? I mean, who cares what his name is because he's such an idiot. Um, <laughs> let's, 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 let's let you take the lead on this one. Brutal. All right, so... Apparently, Chris Sims came out with a top 40 quarterback list. I, I, I don't have an issue with many of these names on this list. I don't. Now, I don't expect. No, I didn't expect him to be on this list only because he's only played in about four and a half games. And, you know, it, it, you got a little small sample size. But some of the names that are on these lists that on this list is absolutely ridiculous. I will say this. Starting off at number 40, Case freaking Keenum. How the hell is Case Keenum on this damn list? I'll put y'all on this list before I put Case Keenum on this list. Case that's crazy. Case freaking Keenum. <laughs> 39. Justin Fields never played the snap in the NFL. Hell of a talent. I, I've said that. Just never played the snap in the NFL. Don't know how it's going to work out. Trey Lance is next at 38. 
Once again, never took a snap. That don't make no sense to me. Kellen Mond. Who the hell is Kellen Mond? <laughs> Can somebody tell me who the hell Kellen Mond is? T, Kellen Mond went to Texas A&M. He was a very good player at Ooh. Texas A&M. But he's not a starter in this league, and I think any backup quarterback on that list should not be ahead of the starting quarterback in Jalen Hurts. I'm sorry. Now, at first, I will say, I thought it was a typo. Maybe he was going through the list. Oh, wow. All right, I forgot the 32nd starting quarterback in the league. But then he started. He had an interview with Howard Eskin. He was able to clarify what his uh, what his you know reasons were. I guess you could say. But when you looked at Case Keenum last time he came to Philadelphia, can you guys remind me what happened? Yeah, yeah, we we, we kicked his ass. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think uh, brutal. I think just based on that fact alone, he should not be on the top forty list. But yeah, no. nonetheless, thirty five. Tyrod Taylor. Eh, eh, okay, I, I'll give you that one. 34. You're going to give him Tyrod Taylor to you. On what universe is Tyrod Taylor better than Jalen Hurts? I mean, it doesn't exist. I don't care that he's only played four games. If my life depended on winning the game, I'm sure as hell taking Jalen Hurts at this point (laughs) over Tyrod Taylor. Uh, The experience thing is the experience thing, whatever. I mean, it is what it is. Fine. You want to say Tyrod Taylor has more experience? I think the talent here lies in the hands of Jalen Hurts, not just because he's younger, but everywhere he's gone, he's had success. That's a good point. I'll give you that one. All right, 34, Tua. Uh, Okay. Uh, Okay. I'll give you to it. I'll give you to it. All right. 30, Mac Jones. Why is Mac Jones ranked this high? He's never played a damn snap. As a matter of fact, he's a field general. I'll be honest with you. The list list should have stopped at Case Keenum and Kellen Mond. Those two guys are not better than Hurts. But, again, I agree with you. We'll see about Mac Jones. We'll see what he does in the Patriots uniform. They got Zach Wilson at number 27. So, okay, so according to this list, here's the crazy part, and I just realized this. So you put Dan, so you put Zach Wilson on this list. Where the hell is Trevor Lawrence on this list? There's no Trevor yeah. Lawrence. No, Trevor yeah. Lawrence is at 28. Wait, you got Zach Wilson ahead of Trevor Lawrence. Okay, that's an issue. They got Andy Dalton at 29. That Okay, I'm done with this list. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm not looking. Yeah, at this I mean, we, we don't need to hear anymore. We just need to know that this list, you, you can't depend on no. Chris Sims for anything. No. And um, for Jalen Hurts, now we said we understand that four and a half game experience, but he is now a starting quarterback. And this, to me, this should light more of a fire under Jalen Hurts to play better. I think that's the kind of guy he definitely is. He's not the kind of guy to shy away from competition. Uh, he wants to prove himself. He wants to prove that he's the man in Philly now. And I'm excited to see that. Well, I'll tell you what, right now, we do, we, we about have, what, a month, maybe less until training camp starts up. So, listen, if the Phillies continue to disappoint us, I think all of our attentions are going to turn to Jalen Hurts and, uh, and the Eagles. We'll see, T. We shall see. I know it's going to get excited as uh, we all going to get more excited as this, as the season nears. And uh, we'll be here with cover all of you, uh, cover it all with you guys. You damn right. Um, and damn that, right T, no doubt, no doubt, T. We'll we'll shut it down with that. All right, and listen, if you guys have missed any of this episode, you can always go to Philly Dash Experience. That's numbercast.com. We are available on all major downloadable platforms: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, the entire Shabazz. Um, look, um, Chris Sims, do me a favor, as as I as I once famously said, right? shut the f up for life. All right, that's that's what you need to do. I don't yeah. need you evaluating no more football. I got to start coming up with some more famous quotes for sound drops. <laughs> yeah, you got some legendary ones. You, I think yours is still the funniest, though. I do. <laughs> he needs to learn how to wrap that thing up. Because that guy doesn't yeah. know what the hell he's doing.
So we know it's hard. You're always on your back. What's going on, everybody? 